Well, Father, we thank you for another podcast. We thank you for the way that you're using these podcasts to speak to people and to encourage people and to deconstruct the way that we have interpreted the word of God and what it means to be a believer and a Christian and a follower of you and what it, what the gospel really is, Lord. I thank you that every person that is listening to these podcasts, Father, even if this is the very first time they've listened, I thank you that it's a divine appointment and that you are drawing people from honestly all over the world to listen. And for that, Father, I'm so humble and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I'm also really aware of my need to completely depend on you. And so tonight, Father, I just yield. I yield as a living sacrifice. And Father, as an example of, of how we are called to live all the time, where the Father in us is doing the work. And so I say, speak through me tonight, Lord. Use my mental faculties, my emotional faculties, whatever it is that you need to get what you want to say across to every, every listener, Father. I know that tonight's topic is an important topic on your heart because it sets us free. There's truth tonight that you're going to be sharing that is going to be the answer to people's prayers. It's going to be the answer to what has been tormenting them, Father, and what has been uh, a source of pain in their lives. And so, Lord, I just turn it over to you now. I, I give you the wheel. I say, drive us uh, into the fullness of the truth that sets us free tonight. And we just give you glory for it in advance. And we thank you for just all of the fruit that's going to manifest as a result of this podcast. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, awesome. I'm so happy to be with you again and be sharing with you a topic that I, I, I talk about it a lot, actually. I mean, there's, there's sections in my book that cover this topic. I just did a webinar this last week and there, there's a whole section in the webinar that is on this topic. And then frankly, I spent my time with God a lot this week. Uh, working through the ex some of the exact same process that I'm going to be wa uh, talking uh, with you tonight about, because it is, in fact, a process. Uh, the name of tonight's podcast is called Detoxing from Religion. And it's not a one-time detox, <laughs> okay? It's not a one-time thing like, you know, you go away to one of these, you know, spas or something and you detox, right? Or, or you know, you get off sugar for 30 days and then you're good. You know, I'm all detoxed, right? You know, no, we, the reality of it is, is that we, we live in a fallen world. And so there are opportunities every single day of our lives and at really every single moment of our lives to pick up the poison of religion and to digest the poison of religion. And so I want to break it down a little bit for you uh, tonight. And, you know, if you, if you didn't get my webinar, um, 
first of all, I want to encourage you to go and join. Uh, it, there's a group on Facebook called The Path to Purpose with Shalise. And if you're not a part of that group, I encourage you to join that group because that really is my most intimate circle of people that are connected with me. I mean, I have my Facebook page and I post on my Facebook page, but on my in my group, I'm doing Facebook Lives. Uh, there's invitations in there to do things that necessarily won't be on any of my other groups. And so unless you're in my school or unless you're one of my coaching clients or something, that really is the best place for you to stay uh, on top of everything that I'm doing. But uh, there will be a replay of the webinar. We will be getting that live so that everybody can uh, get access to that if you weren't there live this week. So, but let me let me just let me just condense this point for you a little bit, and let's introduce today's topic with the concept of detoxing from religion is one of several shifts that each of us has to go through if we really are going to experience the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of our intimacy with God that was provided because of what Jesus did, and honestly, the fullness of who we are in Christ, and the fullness of what it means to experience Jesus's abundant life. And out of that come a, a, comes a bunch of different fruit. Um, obviously, the fruit of the Spirit comes out of uh this process, but it also is a key that unlocks the door to your destiny. And so I know I'm kind of skating around the the thing right now, so let me just dive in. And I want to back up for a moment and give you a working definition of religion. Because what happens when I when I first start to talk about you know detoxing from religion, a lot of people a lot of people by default think they're not religious. And and maybe comparatively, they're not. You know, in my own life, my mom grew up, my adopted mother grew up in, she grew up in East Texas, which is, you know, like the heart of the Bible Belt. And she grew up in a Pentecostal family. And this, you know, that flavor of Pentecostalism was super strict. Growing up, my mother was not allowed to cut her hair. She was not allowed to wear makeup. She could not wear pants. She could not learn to swim. She could not go to movies. She could not go to football games. Pretty much anything but church <laughs> was a sin. And, um, you know, what a way to, to have to grow up, right? I mean, just everything was a sin. I remember I loved my grandmother. My grandmother was awesome. She was a godly woman, a God-fearing woman, and she, you know, spoiled me rotten, honestly. Uh, but I do remember even things growing up, like things that she would say, like we would go over to, to my, my grandma's house and I might be wearing shorts or something. And my grandma would say, you better get the, uh, get that baby out of them shorts. She's, she's going to go to hell. You know, and I was like two, you know, and so, for my mom, what, you know, her reaction to that, I mean, I think my mother didn't have a rebellious bone in her body. Um, but the truth is it was considered rebellion what she did, which was, you know, she got married right out of high school, literally got out of there as quick as she could because it's so oppressive. But secondly, what she did is she, she raised up, raised us in what would have been considered a liberal Christian church, which was Southern Baptist. 
So Southern Baptist, from my mom's perspective, was religion-free. And I'm sharing that example as uh, to give you kind of a, a, an insight into how we think sometimes about the idea of religion and of, and, and we process, you know, the question that, you know, are you religious? Well, we think, well, no, I'm not religious. You know, uh, my Pentecostal grandmother was religious, but I, you know, I'm free. I'm, I'm free from religion, you know, or we'll, 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 break it down into the concept of just legalism where, you know, no, I know that I'm saved by grace and not of works. We're not under the old covenant. We're not, we don't follow the, we're not, it's not our obedience to the 10 commandments or the ritual sacrimonial law of the old Testament. That is, that's not how I get to heaven. So we just, we just automatically think, you know, Hey, I'm not religious, Uh, but that is not what I'm coming after tonight. And that is not what I am saying that we need to detox from. So I want to give you a working definition of what religion is. And I want to give you a perspective of it that I think maybe you've, maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've listened to me. So you've heard it before, but I want to unpack it a little deeper and I want us to really think about the impact that this toxicity of religion, how it's impacting our relationship with God, how it's impacting our self-image and our relationship with ourself, and honestly, how it's affecting our relationship with others. Because that, the, the root of all of it, is really the poison of religion, is that it kills love. And it kills specifically a certain kind of love, which is unconditional love. So the working definition that I want to start with with, and give you is that at its core, you could define religion as separation from God, where it is a, a state of being where because of this separation, there is an independent you. And a lot of times we don't really think about the sin of pride being a concept of a independent you or a separated you. Most of the time when we talk about or think about the sin of pride, we think about it in terms of arrogance we think about it in terms of, you know, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. You know, there's scripture that says, you know, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, but soberly, right? And so we think about pride being arrogance or extreme self-confidence, which that is for sure a manifestation of pride. But it, the reason it's a manifestation of pride is because it's born out of a state of being that is, in fact, separated from God or independent from God. And when we break down the definition to that level, then it it causes the sin of pride to really be greatly expanded. So it's not just about being arrogant or being overly confident in and of yourself or something, but it's also being having low self-esteem. 
And it, it, it's really having an, an, an identity, frankly, that you actually can judge at all, either as great or as horrible, <laughs> because you are independent from God. It's the independence from God that causes pride to be a problem. And if I take it one step further, it's judgment. It's judgment apart from God that really is the problem. And judgment is the next level down from independence and separation. So when you swallow the lie of religion and when you get, when you digest the lie of religion, that there is a you apart from God, that there is an independent you, that you are separate from God, well, understand the very thing that happens in that is that it sets you up to be God. And when you become God in that role, it means that you become the judge. You become the one who is independently judging everything. And the reality of it is, is that in the garden, that is not the way God created human beings to function. In the garden, we were created to be completely dependent upon God. We, as as human beings created in God's image, we were never meant to be autonomous. We were never meant to be an entity like God. We were created in his image, but God is the self-existing one. We were, were meant to be vessels. We were meant to be carriers. We were meant to be temples of his presence, of his spirit. And when you go back and read in Genesis, the account of creation with this understanding, and then frankly, if you go back and read, you know, all the way through the fall and you see the consequences of what happened when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you look at it through the lens of uh, separation from God, independence from God, or the alternative, which is union with God or oneness with God, you start to really unpack why the original sin, the, the sin of Adam and Eve was eating of this tree called the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, it, because without this understanding, it's hard to make the correlation or the connection between why is the origin of sin? Why is the root of sin the knowledge of good and evil? How is the knowledge of good and evil the actual, at the very, you know, root of it? How is that what where sin springs from? How is the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that produces sin? How is the fruit of sin coming off of this tree? And the reality of it is, is that the reason that the fruit of sin is coming out of the knowledge of good and evil is because the root of sin is independence and being a judge of good and evil apart from God. And I know that we have been programmed, especially in the West, in Western evangelical Christianity, to think of sin as the actual behaviors of sin. So, you know, cussing is a sin. 
uh, you know, lying is a sin, stealing is a sin, adultery is a sin, like all of these, you know, we think of sins, we think of wrong, we think of the law, right? But think about what the law, you know, the law, the do's and the don'ts, the shoulds and the should nots, but think about where the law, where the law is springing from. If you, if you analyze it a little bit, you'll see that the law is springing from right and wrong. And doing this is right, doing this is wrong. In other words, doing this is good, doing this is bad. And when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that is when self-consciousness entered the planet. Because prior to eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, let's think about this. They were, na- they were naked, but they were unashamed. So there was a level of freedom in their self-expression and their, there was no comprehension or no consciousness of themselves as being anything other than perfect and good. <laughs> they just had good consciousness. All they had was it's good. And they, they, they were good because God said it was good. God was the judge of good. Every day after he would end his creation, he, that was the declaration and it was good. And it was good. The only thing that God said wasn't good was when they got to Adam and Eve and it was that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And, you know, prior to that, you know, Adam and Eve were both in Adam. Male and female were both in Adam. When, when God formed Eve out of the rib and, and, you know, formed Eve and gave him a helpmeet, gave him a companion, right? That, that, that was still a picture of oneness and union. Because even though they were two now, God said that they should, the two should become one. So this concept of oneness and no separation even existed in the beginning between Adam and Eve. So there wasn't even in their consciousness a separation between them, between Eve and, and Adam. There was a, there was a, a union and a unity prior to the fall where there was no real consciousness of an independent self. It was kind of like all for one and one for all. And that state of being and state of harmony and state of union was totally destroyed and totally disrupted. As Eve made an independent judgment, it wasn't that they didn't have the capacity, because if they didn't have the capacity to make an independent judgment, then then the whole process that the serpent took Eve through would not have been successful, because she would have been a robot, and she wouldn't have been able to assess or judge apart from God. So the capacity to be independent, the capacity to choose the sin of pride and act independent from the judgment of God was there. It was a temptation. And what the serpent did is he caused Eve to 
doubt God's goodness. He called God a liar. He said, hey, if you eat this fruit, you will not die. God knows that if you eat this fruit, that in that day, your eyes will be opened and you will know good from evil. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now, I know I'm paraphrasing it, but I'm doing it for this, for time's sake. That's why I said go, go read it for yourself. Go read it in a couple different translations because I want to get to my point here. But, and, and let me do that. He literally was telling Eve that if you eat this fruit, it's an accusation against God, number one, that he's withholding something from her. What is he withholding? Wisdom. And he's also withholding the knowledge of good and evil or some kind of wisdom. But he's also withholding, um, you know, this status of being like God. If you eat this tree, you'll be like God. Well, what did that mean to be like God? What it meant to be like God is that you will be the judge. That God will no longer be the judge of good and evil. But now you will be like God, and you will not only know the difference between good and evil, but you'll be, you'll be the judge of it. Now that's, now let me, let me go back. Let me just stay here for a second because this realization that the root of sin is judgment apart from God and independence apart from God is not something that we most of us hear in church. And we also have not really come to the place where we're hearing most of the time in church that Jesus came to deliver us from self-consciousness, that Jesus came to deliver us from judgment, yes, from, from judgment. That's why he says don't judge. But he, he also came to deliver us from the concept of a self that was independent from God. You know, this self-consciousness is a, is a separator. Not only does it, it was a split. It was literally a split in our consciousness. And it caused Adam and Eve to hide It caused shame and fear where they hid from the presence of God, uh, where they became, they actually started to self-judge. The first, the first consequence was self-judgment. There, that I am ashamed. Now instead of being naked and unashamed, now I'm naked and ashamed. And it causes them to hide. And but this self-consciousness has caused all kinds of issues. And, you know, I literally, I, I, was, I was driving by, I, I, I hate to be this, I, sometimes I feel like this is so negative, but it has to be called out. You know, just last night I was driving by a church and uh, it was in a shopping center, one of those kind of shopping center malls. And I, I could see, you know, people, it was a Saturday night service, I guess. And there were people milling around in the lobby and they kind of had their core values up on the wall And one of the core values that was up on the wall was the phrase dying to self. So one of the core phrases of, and they kind of gave an example, you know, a little bit underneath there of what that meant. But this, this, this theology about dying to self 
is this religious attempt to overcome what has already been overcome. And so the gospel is a declaration that there is no self left (laughs) and that the self has been crucified, that the self is dead. Now, if you want to talk about dying to self in the concept of I am consistently waking up to the reality that I'm already dead, then that I might be able to get on board with. But dying and dead are two different states. You aren't dying and dead. Either you're dead or you're alive. And you can be alive in the process of dying, but dead is a dead, it's a dead, it's a done deal. And so we are dead to self in Christ. We have died with Christ in Christ. And so this problem, I just want to encourage you that why, one of the reasons why the gospel is such good news is that what happened at the fall is not our, our state of being anymore. And for that matter, I want to say this, that God has never seen that is our state of being. Most of us, if we're detoxing from religion, now granted, religion, this religious idea of an independent self is not just a church concept. This is a world concept. This is a human, you know, mankind concept. So you're going to get this independence from every place that you could imagine. I mean, think about it. The, the first couple of words that little kids say are me, mine, me, mine. You know, and I'm not saying that we should not have a sense of individuality, that we should not have a sense of self that is unique to us. But I am saying that an independent self that is independent from who you are in Christ is a wrong, it's an incomplete self-definition and self-concept. So let me dive in here for a moment, and I want to talk about, because, you know, what I've been talking about is, is most, in the church, it's, we mostly hear, if you're going to, you know, hear the gospel presented, you're going to hear it from the context of the original sin. People, most of the time, present the gospel as a message about sinners who are being saved by grace. And Although there are plenty of scriptural references that present the gospel that way, it is not, your origin did not begin in Adam. Your origin began in Christ. And let me just read this in the Passion Translation in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to uh, just start in verse 4 here, where it talks about your true origin. It says, And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, 
so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. So let me read that same verse, verse 4 in the Amplified. It says, just as in his love he chose us in Christ, and the amplification is actually selected us for himself as his own before the foundation of the world, so that we would be holy, that is consecrated, set apart, purpose-driven, and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined and lovely, lovingly planned for us to be adopted to himself as his own children through Christ Jesus. So I want to talk about this because, you know, in Revelation 13, it says that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. And so a lot of times we think of our origin as being in Adam. And we say, you know, in Adam, we were sinners. But we... Our origin in the garden in Adam becomes a sin-based origin. But our origin at the foundation of the world becomes a, in Christ, perfect, holy, and blameless origin. And I, I, you know, we, you've probably heard people say that, you know what? The plan of redemption was not God's plan B. It was always God's plan A. And why am I saying this? Because most of us, as an independent, separated self from God, who have been programmed with that idea of a self-concept, and then if you grew up in church or you've, you know, just it comes in so many different ways. It's not just in church. But we, it is definitely in church. When you get told that, that you are bad, there is something wrong with you because you're imperfect, because you don't do everything correct, that you are a sinner, that at your core you're a sinner. Rather than at your core, you are in Christ. Now granted, I know that I'm, I know that I'm upsetting the apple cart a little bit, especially when you, when you think about how the gospel is presented in the West. But the reason why it's so important, you guys, is, is number one, your union with God from God's perspective started before the foundation of the world. It didn't just start when you believed in God. And it honestly just didn't start when Jesus was crucified. Because not in not in the concept of time, I'm, I'm t- because t- time from God's perspective is different. How can He chose you before you were born? You know, I hear people say, "Well, you know, He knew me in the, my mother's womb." Well, no, He knew you before your mother's womb. He knew you before He said, "Let there be light." And if if from from the Father's perspective, if Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, well, guess what? If He was crucified, in other words, before the foundation of the world and you were crucified with Christ before the foundation of the world, then you were good before you were bad. And when I say good, let's also be clear. There is none good apart from Christ. So there's no independent goodness. There is one good, and it's God. In fact, that is exactly what Jesus told the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he called him the good teacher. 
And Jesus challenged him and said, why do you call me good? There is only one good, and that's God. Why would Jesus say that? Because because he was really challenging the rich young ruler's understanding of who, am I, am I good? Am I God? He was actually asking the guy, am I God? Why are you calling me good when there's only one good and it's God? And so I'm not talking about a goodness that is independent, you know, because you have to realize that we even hear this stuff through the lens of separation. And so we reject the idea that we're good because we think that's prideful. When actually rejecting the idea that you're good is prideful. (laughs) Judging yourself as bad is prideful. This, this, this split runs so deep that what am I really coming after with this tonight? I'm coming after a couple of things. I'm coming after your independent self-concept that judges yourself as good or bad apart from God. When the, and, but you need to know the truth so that you'll stop doing that. Because the truth about you is that you've always been good. You just didn't know it. <laughs> you were good from God's perspective before you heard the good news. You were good from God's perspective because the lamb had been slain before the foundation of the world. So he always saw you as good. And your goodness doesn't change when you're bad or when you do something that is wrong or your sin, you sin. Am I saying that sin is okay because of this? I'm not talking about sin being okay or being bad. Does sin have consequences? Yes. But I am, but what does that have to do with, with, with who you are and the, and the proclamation over you that you are good? Why am I, why am I also sticking on this? Because I have struggled with this my entire life. I have struggled with the concept and the lies that there is something wrong with me, that I am not good, that I am bad, that, you know, in my relationship with myself, and I'm not alone. I'm just, I'm just honest enough to say it. And how do I know I'm not alone? Because of the relational dysfunction that we have in our lives and on this planet. Because this epidemic of there being something wrong with me or me judging myself bad or me having a poor relationship with myself or me having conditional love-based relationships with people, other people, this, this all flows out of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it comes out of a judgment personality, a, a, a construct. And it's very sneaky. It's very, very sneaky. Um, even the law and our relationship with it and our, our, our measuring stick that we use to judge others by many times subconsciously, it is an attempt to make ourselves feel better. Because see, if you are bad, then then I can be good. 
If you are wrong, then then I can be right. And if I am good and I am right, then I'm okay. See, there's not something wrong with me. I'm okay. There's something wrong with you. Right? And, and, and we do it in a million different ways. And if, I, if we're really honest and we really break this thing down, the whole reason we have to forgive others is because we've engaged in judgment. The whole reason that we have to forgive ourselves is because we're sitting in the judgment seat. Forgiveness is a function of judgment. Forgiveness of what? An offense. What's an offense about? Somebody did something wrong. And am I suggesting that, I mean, that we stop forgiving? I'm not suggesting that we stop forgiving. Uh, but what I am suggesting is that we get, come up to a, a higher level, which is that maybe we stop judging. Because if you, if you come to the place where you can stop judging, I will tell you this, you'll do a, have to do a heck of a lot less forgiving. I, I was talking with someone this week, counseling with someone this week, and I was talking, I, I said this phrase, and I sit with this a lot. I mean, this is not something that anyone that teaches this, I don't care where you hear this message, this is not, there is no one on the planet that is sitting in mastery of this. I mean, this is so ingrained into the human psyche. Um, can we get, uh, <laughs> I mean, can we be free? I do believe that we can, but I just don't even think that this is, this revelation, frankly, is, is super widespread. And so just getting this message, I think, is tough. But secondly, I think anyone, you know, I'm not teaching this because I'm judgment-free. I'm not teaching this because I don't struggle, you know, like I've been set free from this stuff. Actually, I'm teaching it because I feel like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, I'm the chief, <laughs> I'm the chief sinner. You know, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. I think that I have revelation on this because this has been a foundational struggle of my whole life. Because when you, um, and I could tell you why. I mean, I think all of us through our life experiences, at some point, we self-judge. We self-judge. We self-reject. We think, we're, we say, you know, I'm not good enough. Um, no matter what I do, it's not good enough. Uh, we, we do things like there must be something wrong with me. Um, there, there's different ways that this manifests in our psyche and in our minds and in our personalities. But, you know, the problem with it at its core is that it's all shame-based. And when you believe that there's something wrong with you, that's a shame-based identity. And when we present the gospel as there is something wrong with you, you are a sinner. At your core, you are a sinner. There is, there, here's what's wrong with you. You are a sinner. When we label ourselves and people like that, what we are doing is we are it is a cloak of shame that we're living under. And the way out, I want to go back to this, is because I was talking about counseling with someone this week. The way out is to realize, it is to get off the judgment seat. It's to take off your robe and quit be, you know, sitting up there with your gavel and sitting in the place that is only reserved for God. And through our union and our oneness with God, recognize that we don't have to do that. 
we can set aside the hammer of judgment. We can set it aside. And when we do that, here's what happens. (laughs) Where I was going with that is the pain in our lives is not coming from the things that happen to us. The pain in our lives is coming from the judgments that we made about what happens to us. When someone offends us, we are judging in some way. Either we're judging them or we're judging ourselves based upon what's happened. When we go through things, and I mean rejection or or whatever it could be, we actually are hurt. The pain of rejection is what we make it mean about us. And we judge the other person many times because it makes us feel better about ourselves or about the situation. But let's just take the pain of rejection. Rejection potentially sends an accusation that there's something wrong with you, that you're not lovable, that you're not likable, that you're disposable, that, I mean, you, 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 you know, whatever. But there's a, the pain of it is that those statements, okay? It's not the actual, and, and by the way, it's the, the statements are what cause the emotional reaction. Because every negative emotion, every emotion, frankly, good or bad, is coming from a thought. And so when we forgive people, which is fantastic, because why? What are we doing? We're forgiving them. Really, we're forgiving them for making us feel a certain way. Or for, even if they come out and say there's something wrong with you or whatever, what does that have to, what does that really It's only painful to you, I guess, ultimately, is if, number one, if you already think that about yourself, and so it hits in something that becomes about you. Um, And I understand that people can disappoint us, that people can say hurtful things, and and I'm not trying to, what am I I trying to say? I'm trying to get you to a deeper level to try to understand what forgiveness actually is. Why does it work? Why does forgiveness work? You know why it really ultimately forget works? Is because we're releasing the judgments that we have against people. And we're release, releasing the pain that it caused us. We're releasing the offense, the sin, the relationship with the tree of knowledge of good and evil that this interaction with this person had. And in Christ, by the way, guess what? We all enjoy a status of forgiven. Jesus Christ became sin on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteous of God in him. So from God's perspective... Literally, every person on the planet is in a state of forgiven. A perpetual state of forgiven, by the way. 
It's the same state of forgiven, given as you would say every, it's holy. We're blameless in his sight. When? Since the foundation of the world. So being forgiven is a state of being in Christ. If you're in Christ, which we are, you're forgiven. And so what is this forgiveness thing then? What's happening when we're forgiving? If someone's already forgiven, what are we doing? Why do, why do, why do we need to forgive? We need to forgive because we have set up ourselves as the judge as holding unforgiveness. So we have now, we're calling that, we're un, we're holding in our head and in our heart a independent judgment and state of being that is apart from who we are in Christ and who everyone else is. So I hope I'm making sense with this because it is a little bit like a brain pretzel. (laughs) Why? Because we have been bathed in this mess. Bathed and bathed and bathed. Program with a with a way of thinking. It's not just, when I say, this isn't just a mindset. This is a whole operating system. This is, this is not just a program. Like this is, you know, like if you have a computer hard drive and you've got, you know, Excel or Word on there. No, this is the actual operating system. And it's a judgment based, independent, separated from God operating system. And if we are going to be Set free. I mean, set free. Set free. Because let me tell you, this is not a peaceful way to live. It is not a peaceful way to live in a place where, uh, where you're judging others. It is not a peaceful way to live when you are judging yourself. It is not a peaceful tree to, to be eating of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, I want to challenge you because I will say this. Forgiveness is a great place to start. Because forgiveness is the process of acknowledging that I'm even offended. And it, it is the first step, really, in releasing judgment. Because a lot of times what we do is we walk around with a bunch of judgments and our hearts are so calloused that... We've just taken on a persona that this is actually the way it is. That my judgment is the way it actually is. This is right. This is, this is how the world works. This is who this person is. That's the way it is. And forgiveness actually begins the process of getting us out of the deception of offense, which the deception of offense is judgment. And so when you begin to forgive, And this is the way, I mean, you can just ask the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you this, the Holy Spirit will lead you into opportunities to get offended. (laughs) And he will lead you into opportunities to be free from that. And as we come into the new year, We're believing God for some things. And I don't know about you, but I don't really know of anybody that wants, doesn't want the next decade 
to be an amazing decade in their life, the best of their life, right? I know that we may have been through some things. I know you may be going through some things right now. You might have challenges and all of this, but the blood of Jesus has, there's so much power in what the blood of Jesus has accomplished for humanity. And the blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's a done deal. Give me, don't get me wrong. When I say the blood of Jesus has the, the, the power to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we've been cleansed. But I'll tell you what, our souls and our minds sometimes, because we're carrying around all this junk, it, we, it needs to be cleansed. We need a blood cleansing detox. You, know, you hear about all these cleanses. Well, let me tell you, there's no cleanse like the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus will, will cleanse your conscience. It will purge your conscience, the word of God says in Hebrews chapter 12, from every dead work. From every dead branch that has spring, sprung up from a root of bitterness. That every, every place in your heart where you do not have peace. I'm going to be say a very bold statement right now, but every place in your heart and your mind and in your soul where you do not have peace is attached to a judgment. It is attached somewhere, somewhere to a lie, somewhere to a an opinion that is not God's opinion. And I would love to see us in these last few weeks of the year go through a detox and begin to cleanse our souls through the through one of the most powerful gifts that we've been given which is the gift of forgiveness that is the gift of Jesus Christ to the world it is the forgiveness of sins it is the not just the forgiveness it's the eradication of sin and for us to walk around with a sin consciousness, holding everybody's sins against them, holding our own sins against ourselves, uh, walking in unforgiveness, walking in judgment, it is eating the tree of good and knowledge, of, of eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil makes you sick. And I'll tell you what, if you will, it's not about as much giving up fast food or giving up sugar or giving up carbs or whatever it is that you think that you've been eating that is making you sick. I will tell you, there is a a deeper root, and I'm talking even about physical illness. There is a deeper root of this stuff that manifests in our lives. And it comes from eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the blood of the lamb heals us, makes us whole, and has made a way for us to live in union with Jesus and union with God where we can let go of even the responsibility of judgment. I will tell you, you want to talk about real freedom? Real freedom comes when you don't even have to judge. You don't have to. To judge, you don't have to take offense. 
You can leave it in the hands of the one who sees it all, who knows it all, who redeems it all, who makes it all new, who heals it all, who turns it for good, and makes all things beautiful in their time. There isn't any ash that he can't make something beautiful out of it. There's no destruction of any kind in your life, in someone else's life, that God cannot redeem. And so let's give ourselves the most incredible present here this Christmas. And let's go through the process of letting go. Forgiving, giving others the gift of forgiveness. I'll tell you, that's the best gift you can give anybody. Forgive them as they are already forgiven. Not because you feel like it, but because it's who you are. You are in Christ, the forgiven one. And they are, from God's perspective, no matter what they're doing, I get it. I'm not justifying what they're doing. I'm just, but that... It's not about what they're doing. It's about you. Who are you going to be? Who are, what are you going, what are you, what tree are you going to eat from? At the end of the day, it's not going to be you and Jesus talking about everybody else's stuff. And so, beloved, let me pray. I pray that you would receive the message that I'm sharing today and tonight through the lens that allows you to receive it. (laughs) So whatever that is, Lord, you know what we've been through. You know the hurts that have been done to us. You know the ways that we have been rejected and maligned and programmed through pain and all kinds of experiences. But Lord, you also know how to completely erase it with your blood and make it as though it never happened. And so, Father, we are asking for that kind of revelation tonight. I'm asking that for every single person. Father, we don't want to take into this new decade the same old junk we've been dragging around for the last decade. We want to walk into this new year, walk into this next season of our lives freer than we've ever been, free to be who you've created us to be, free to love, free to laugh, free to to pursue the dreams in our hearts, to experience love and, and, and all of the good things that are in us in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I just release grace. I release each and every listener on the path of wholeness. It's not just the path to purpose, Father. The the purpose is found in wholeness. So I release us onto this path that sets us free from the past. And just walk us through that process, Lord as we wrap up the year and celebrate the gift of Jesus and what he has done, what he has finished for all of humanity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Well, as always, I really encourage you to support the podcast, to support the work we're doing here, uh, to get this message out to as many people as possible, to bless as many people as possible, to preach the good news that we are one with God, that there is no separation, and that uh, in him we are perfect, holy, complete, and equipped to do amazing things, the same things as Jesus did, and even greater things. So head on over to Shalice.com and and donate today. Become a monthly partner. You will be so blessed because when you partner with us, you partner in the actual reward of what we're doing. You share in the reward of the call of God in my life, the faithful reward that comes from that. And so partner. And also if um, you are at all interested in really stepping into your purpose in this next year, in this coming year, getting clear about what was in the heart of God when he thought of you, when he dreamed you up, and you are ready to start living that purpose and stop living a life that is not 100% aligned with really the reason that you're here and the work that you're on the planet to do, excuse me, well, I just encourage you to send us an email. Email us at info at shalice.com. We'll connect you with our Emerge School of Transformation team who will talk to you about really what is the next step for you in your life. Uh, what is Emerge School of Transformation? Is it a good fit? And should you be working with Shalice, me, all of those, all of those questions? And so send us an email at info at shalice.com and we'll be happy, happy to talk with you. We call these calls breakthrough calls because God shows up and shows out in every single one. So uh, God bless you, beloved, and have an amazing week and spend some time, spend some time with the Lord just detoxing this week from anything that is not uh, the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen, you guys.